Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. We're here with Len Joy, author of Everyone Dies Famous. Len came to, if not writing, definitely publishing in his 60s. And I've had quite a few guests who entered onto this journey later on in life, and they always seem to get a really good response. I think that aspiring writers like to hear that you don't have to have made it before you're 30. Uh, I personally wasn't published till I was in my mid-30s, so um, I feel that pressure often uh, in my 20s of you know maybe not having accomplished things or hit any pinnacle that I was aiming for yet. And of course, when you're in your 20s, it feels like you need to be doing something now. So I'd really just like to talk about making that choice and making that move towards publishing later in life. But first, let's talk about writing. Have you always been a writer or did you come to the actual act of writing later as well? I think when I was really young, it's hard to remember sometimes that far back, I did have these aspirations. I liked the idea of being a writer. When I went off to college in the 60s, became an English major. That was the path I thought would world fame as a writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went to the University of Rochester, but during the first year, actually took this course on English literature and professor just ripped, shredded my paper. I was only 18, you know, I didn't have a lot of confidence and he sort of totally destroyed it at that point. And I switched to uh, economics and I went into business and I always still had that notion, but I was just convinced on don't have the talent to be a writer. You know, you do a lot of writing in business, but it's always, I had a small business uh, manufacturing company and I was always writing to banks asking for money. So, Mm -hmm. and describing businesses and stuff. But, you know, once we started having children and I, you know, I like to to write about the kids and sort of poke fun at them and my wife and myself. And uh, so I, and I got a lot of great feedback on my holiday letter and it was easy when the kids were young and couldn't read it, but, um, you know, I continued that tradition and I realized that was something I really enjoyed doing. And, you know, I still continue in my business for about 20 years. And then around about 2003, you know, I got a mail flyer from the University of Chicago's Graham School uh, offering creative writing course. You know, do I want to take that? And I was winding down the business. I had been, I had a business, so my business was in Phoenix. I'm in Chicago and I did it with my brother-in-law. And so we, I would commute back and forth for basically every 10 days I'd go to Phoenix and then come back. And so I did a lot of reading and, uh, you know, sort of writing on the, on during those long flights, but it always gives an excuse. Well, I couldn't take any other courses because I, my schedule was so irregular, but once that stopped, basically on a whim, I decided I would, uh, try this course. And I really enjoyed it. And I got good feedback. It was just the basics of writing, you know, like write 300 words of uh, fiction. And, you know, the instructor was encouraging, but not don't quit your day job kind of encouraging. Just, mm-hmm. I enjoyed writing. I liked telling stories. I, I moved on and took like 
a whole sequence of courses from the university. And then I also, each year I would go to the Iowa Writers Festival, which is a great program. I mean, they give you so many different opportunities. It's like summer camp for adults. Uh, you get a week away from everything else and just sort of immersed in whatever course you're taking and going to book readings and stuff like that. And so that was probably, I was in my fifties and I didn't consider myself a novelist. Some people I think have a, a novel where they want to write. And I didn't have that. I had, I had stories and experience, you know, I was running a manufacturing company, a small engine remanufacturing business, 300 employees, a lots, you know, just a lot of material for writing. It wasn't a great business, but it was a, it was a great experience. And I think that's one of the, the disadvantage of writing when you're older is that you're older and you have less time to make your mark. But the advantage is, in addition to having maybe more financial stability, is that you have a lot of experience. So, yeah, and it's that experience, I think, that is interesting. And I want to come back to that because you mentioned having a professor, a teacher, a mentor kind of uh, really dissuade you from something that you were interested in and yeah. turned you away from something that you that you wanted. You said that you felt as if you were being told you didn't have the talent to write. I think it's very interesting to take that statement and set it beside what you just said about having experience. Because personally, and my viewpoint on this has changed, I used to really bank on that word, talent, and believe that it was a latent thing that we were given at birth or not. As I have become older, and looked at some of the writing I produced in my 20s, I can definitively tell you that is not true. I thought I was really good. And I'm not saying that you weren't at 18. I'm simply saying that I know the writing that I was producing in my 20s that was being rejected again and again and again. As I have told uh, my listeners before, I was querying for 10 years. I was rejected for 10 years and I earned all of those rejections because my writing was not ready yet. Mm-hmm. As a 42-year-old, I can look back at that and identify a seed, a germ, be it creativity or whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to call it talent because that wasn't there yet. I learned from my criticism. Uh, It sounds like you had a rough brush. I never had anyone tell me, you're not going to make it because you don't have what it takes. I had people say, you need to work if you want this, which is a true statement and a helpful statement. Simply saying you don't have it is not helpful. With this in mind, I, I want you to think about, because I know I have many educators too out there that listen to my podcast, putting those two statements beside each other, what do you find to be like the takeaway there? Talent versus work and travail. I have this sort of dual career of writing and and you know competing in triathlons, which, both of which I, you know, I went into in my 50s. My position, my feeling is that most people have an 
a decent amount of, t- of talent, if you want to call that, or ability, let's say ability to, to say write or you know, compete athletically. And, and then there's always a few, uh, you know, the rare exception in, in writing where, you know, the person doesn't need any training at all. They're just naturally brilliant. But that's such a small percentage. I don't think it's, it really applies is, is even with your ability, you know, you need, you need to work at it, like whether it's a, a sport or writing, you need training. I personally, I know I benefited from that great instructors, I, you know, that opened my eyes to how much there is in, involved in the profession of writing. It's, it's not just sitting down and, you know, writing words, you know, there's a lot of um, things, storytelling and uh, formation of the stories and just mundane things like dialogue, punctuation, and there's just a lot to learn. And I, I found, uh, you know, you have to put in the time. There's no shortcut to that. I tell that story more because it's a cautionary tale for me, like when people are in workshops to remember that when, you know, like a lot of the workshops now you get, you know, there'll be 18 year olds and 20 year olds and 40 and 50 and 60 year olds. And so we get older sometimes, you know, after, you know, you get out in the real world and you get rejected in a lot of ways, like in customers and stuff like that. And it can maybe coarsen you or harden you a little bit. But, you know, I always remember that that 18 year old boy was so sensitive like me. It wasn't that the professor was uh, like the same experience you probably had. It's like the paper wasn't very good. I wasn't used to writing papers. Mm-hmm. I just took it to heart. And I, you know, I made a good choice at that time to go into a business and which I also enjoyed. And, you know, I didn't extinguish the flame. I, I postponed that adventure. Postponement is a good word to use here. It's a long journey, no matter how you use your mile markers, publishing and writing, the line always extends further into the distance. There's always something else you're going to want. I'll put it that way. Yeah. I remember in my, let's call it naivete, in my 20s thinking, you know, if I could just get a book published, then I'll be happy. Um, I think I have 12 books published now. <laughs> <laughs> you're <So>, really happy. <laughs> I'm not though. You always want something else. You always want something right. more. And now I'm like, you know what? I, I've done well. I'm able to learn a living as a writer. I'm not a New York Times bestselling author, though. If I could just get that, right? I mean, the rung is always moving higher. And that is a good thing because it pushes us to continue to improve. Let's talk then about your book and moving forward through these years of writing, knowing that you wanted to write, having that creative flame still burning inside Walk us through that process and how you arrived where you are now with a small press title. Going back to when I was taking those courses, you know, I started taking novel writing courses and they had a sequence at, at the University of Chicago. Like, and I didn't realize when I signed up that most people who were taking that course already have written what they think of as their novel and they were just trying to figure out how to make it better. And I had no novel. I just been taking short stories and writing really flash fiction and things. And when I took that course where we were going to critique a chapter each, each week, great incentive to, to apply myself. I took a short story I had about a, a guy who pitches a driving down the road and heading towards a wedding or something. I evolved that, you know, I would write a chapter each week. Ultimately, four or five years later became my first novel, American Pastime. It took a long time to get it published because I was trying, in the original format, it had, it had grown to like a 50-year a saga from the 50s up to early 2000. And I got some good feedback as I was trying to get it published that debut author it's too long. It's too involved. You need to cut it back. And, you know, those are really tough 
things to hear, but I was able to, you know, flexible enough, I, I cut the novel in half, cut out of many of the, my beloved characters and, and ended it in uh, right after the Vietnam War family saga about the stonemason family. Uh, dancer stonemason is this guy who pitches a perfect game in, in the minor leagues and then his life unravels. Uh, he doesn't make it to the majors and it's um, it's sort of America growing up in the 50s and 60s through the war. So I ended it there and, it, and it, it managed to get a small publisher and you know got great reviews and um, you know some sales success. Not, it's really hard to sell on, from those independent platforms. But mm-hmm. And then I wrote another novel that was different from that, Better Days. But I came back to, I had all this material that I'd used, decided I, I could continue the story, even though it's a standalone novel. I, I wrote uh, Everyone Dies Famous using the same characters that are that survived like 30 years later, the whole novel takes place in a single day. In some ways, a lot easier and in some ways more challenging, but uh, all the activity is, is focused and it gives you a good framework to write the story. You made that jump to becoming a published author. You're with a small press. You mentioned earlier, you know, this is an experience you've had before. It is difficult to move uh, quantities when you're with a small press, simply because there's so much noise out there in the world, making yourself visible is difficult. I'm published with one of the big five, and I can tell you it's still difficult yeah. to get attention and get eyes on your book and put yourself in front of people simply because there's just so much noise, so much noise all the time. Everyone saying, I wrote a book, I wrote a book, I wrote yeah. a book. It's very hard to make yourself stand out. What has your experience been then with the indie press world? And are you looking to replicate that? Are you going to stay in the indie world or are you looking, what's in your future? I was fortunate. I, I was published by a group called Hark New Era Publishing, a husband and wife team. I was their first book published. And as it turned out, I was their last book published because they had children and uh, careers that and they were trying to make this work and it, it, you know, they just couldn't keep it going, but they were really good editors. So the next book, I moved on to another small press. You know, I wasn't satisfied really with the marketing attention and the, and the arrangement. So I actually bought the book back from them and mm-hmm. uh, went through Kindle Direct Publishing for that experience, and which was good. I, I, I'm glad I did that because it gave me a chance to experiment with trying to do you know, social media ads. And it's just something I'm not good at and I, I really would like to have the help doing it. And I, I'm 69 years old. I, I, I can't wait years for, you know, the agents to see the wonder of my work. I just finished my fourth novel, but cause I, I would like to move up the, what I consider the food chain to the mm-hmm. you know, big press and stuff. And you need an agent to do that. I can feel for agents cause they get, it sounds like hundreds of submissions a week. Mm-hmm. And so they just have to go through quickly and I, I always want to take my shot at it. But For Everyone Dies Famous was published by BQB Publishing, which is a hybrid publisher. I'm just very grateful for that. You know, that when I started writing it, I don't think that was even an option. BQB does a, a quality job. They, they publish good books and they provide, it's a partnership. They're doing what you'd have to do as a self-publisher. But, you know, for most of us, they're doing a much better job at that, mm-hmm. you know, and they share the royalties and... I'd love to make a living at it, but I've I've made a living and I what I'd really like to get is readers. You bring up an interesting point and you're not the first person that I've had uh say this. I've had multiple authors who are older 
say, you know, right. <laughs> my remaining window is only so big. I, I mean, Planning to live forever, I wanted, but we may not, you know. <laughs> right. We might not. I mean, that's a pretty good bet. So it is something you have to consider. It may not be the most happy thought, but it is, in fact, reality. And also, you were saying that you took the step of buying your rights back and self-publishing through Kindle Direct, trying to figure out the confusing algorithm maze that is Kindle, Amazon advertising, Facebook advertising, any of it. It is not easy. I have friends in the indie publishing industry that are like, no, I mean, that's 50% of their job is just figuring out how to crack those algorithms, how to put together an ad that works and, and all of those things. And of course, it's all very tech heavy, which I imagine making a generalization, but I imagine may also be more intimidating for someone that hasn't grown up and been around computers and really digging into them their entire lives. Right. The We As Start Talking podcast is a place for great conversations, topics, and stories from people just like you and me. This podcast is focused on changing the world one conversation at a time. Each episode features a new guest, and along with their four hosts, they explore raw, honest, vulnerable, and fun subjects, all in an effort to start talking. If you crave truth, compassion, understanding, real-life stories, and want to be entertained, you've come to the right place. Episodes release on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays of every week, so there is always a great conversation waiting for you. Check out the We As Start Talking website at www.weas.ca. Have a look at the merch store, reach out to the team, and meet the hosts of We As Start Talking. The We As Start Talking podcast, making the world a better place, one conversation at a time. I am very interested to talk to you about another aspect of your life, that being athleticism. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also an athlete, was an athlete through high school, lost that in my 20s and in my beginning of my 30s simply because I was too busy and uh, returned to it then uh, end of 30s and now into my early 40s. And you are a competitive triathlete. You know, I was a, a jock growing up. I went to college thinking I could play football and I love sports. And I, you know, after college, you know, I, there's no way to have competition. You know, I started hearing about these triathlons. I thought about it for like about 10 years. Like it's like, I'm an average at running, biking and swimming, not, you know, not elite and by any stretch, but put them all together. Maybe I could compete write a page a day and I'll have a novel in, mm-hmm. in a year. But it got me, you know, I took a couple of YMCA classes and then I, I found a trainer and you discover a whole new world. It's it's a lot. I thought I could swim this morning. My training was, I had an hour and a half bike ride on the uh, trainer in the, in the basement now that we're all, you know, sequestered. Right. But, and then I went to the Y for a swim lesson. So I, you know, it's like, it's great because I, continuing to learn stuff. And, you know, I'm not uh, elite really, but I'm because of my age group, I'm able to compete on Team USA because there's just fewer and fewer of us still competing. And uh, And you've completed an Ironman, correct? That was a a great experience. I don't think I'll repeat it because it just takes so much time of, you know, training, you know, to do it. But it was, I did that one, uh, an Ironman in Idaho, Coeur d'Alene with a group that I, you know, I still train with. Um, 
and some people just, you know, that I've trained with have gone on to do 10 or 11 Ironmans. And oh. I just don't, I just don't have the time. <laughs> like, right. you know, you have to it's ride, you know, a, a, a bike training ride is like six hours. Like that's, yeah. that's a lot. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's so, I, I'm a support staff for an Ironman here oh. locally. I run around like stabbing trash and picking it up and yeah. grabbing people's water bottles and, you know, taking their empty and sometimes they're taking their, you know, full piss bottles, you know? And yeah. so it's like, you know, I don't compete uh, because I would drown like that. That would, that's all there is to it. Um, I would be dead. So that's not in the cards for me and never will be. I do support because I, it's amazing. I mean, that's just, it's a stunning amount of athleticism and determination and just mind over matter involved in that. And I love that you as an individual are participating in both uh, exercising the mind and the body, constantly moving forward and learning. I, that's what I aspire in 20 years. I want to be able to say the same thing. I, I always find like those activities are really complementary in the sense that I ran the Boston Marathon, you know, like I got a chance to do that. And it you run a marathon, it's, you don't run like 26 miles at, at once. You, you know, it's a step at a time you train for it, just like a novel. You just do a little bit each day to train on days when you don't want to train. And the same with writing, mm-hmm. you got to sit down and do something every day. And they, they, they support each other. Plus be easy, especially now with this, the world the way it is, like not to get out of bed, like in the morning. Oh yeah. If you don't give me a reason to get out of bed, I'll stay there. So yeah. Right. yeah. Last thing, if you could let people know where they can find you online, that would be great. Well, my website, www.lenjoybooks.com. Facebook, search for Len Joy. The same with Twitter. I have a newsletter and I would welcome more subscribers. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.